everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. Today I'm talking about Arm of the Sphinx by Josiah Bancroft. So let's sail into it. Now where I left you guys in the last book, uh, Senlin and his crew have just stolen the Stone Cloud, a ship that they can fly, and they sail away. So Senlin and his crew have successfully escaped from New Babel and pirates. Of course, this part is going to be spoiler-free here at the beginning, and then we'll get into talking about it. First thing first, when you read this book, you need to have the third book, The Hod King, at your disposal. You get to the end, you're going to want to read the next book. Whether you like the ending or hate the ending, you're going to need it so that you can go right into it. It's that powerful. Um, of course, in this uh, in this book, we learn a little bit more about the top of the tower, about the the tower. We leave New Babel. We see Pelphia's the next step. The Silk Reef is above that. Algez is above that. And that's kind of it that we see. Algez and Pe- Pelphia are engaged in a war. And so the Silk Reef is kind of just a no man's land. Uh, and this is all explained b- briefly. It's not a spoiler to say that this is where we're going to be seeing people. It was good. I like this book where The first book felt a lot of plot and character. I feel like this book deals a lot more with the characters growing on their own. Um, The plot is still there. The plot's still important. It still moves forward. But I feel like it's more character-driven actions and situations that are driving it forward this time instead of plot-related actions driving it forward. Like I said, it's been great. Uh, It's amazing i read it quickly i read it intently gonna want to be paying attention uh just a couple things that aren't aren't too bad um piracy love their piracy that he's like a kind pirate who tries not to like abjectly just kill everybody so usually demands part of their spoils and not everything and then lets them go um and the way he pirates is unique to say the least um, so great, so great. There's just a lot of character growth in this book. I think that's kind of about all we can talk about without getting into spoilers. Just remember that our crew of uh, Senlin, Voletta, yes, I did say her name wrong in the last episode is Violetta, but that's only because I misread it every single time I read it. Um, Adam, Iron, and Edith, and of course Senlin, our captain. So let's... uh. We're going to dive into some spoilers, so take a break, read the book, or listen ahead if you don't mind. This, the piracy, let's start there, that was as good as any spot to start. Sandlin's piracy is unique. He has tricked people, he has uh, pretended to be fainting ladies, and then when they came aboard to rescue them, they turned the tide and, and ca- captured them. They are slumming it, they're trying to find safe haven, uh, they visit some unreputable uh, cities, not cities even, just ports that they can stop at as pirates, usually just until they get kicked out. Uh, Of course, Senlin meets with uh, a person at one of them, and they direct him to the Golden Zoo, that apparently it's a safe rescue refuge, and that they'll be able to find some safe haven, some answers there. So they fly to the Golden Zoo, which is on the Silk Reef. So it's kind of in between Pelphia and Algez where that war was fought. Now it's died down a little bit, so there's no action there, but it still exists. They meet there Luke Marat, who is kind of like 
the leader of all these free Hods. Now, Hods, of course, if you don't remember, are the basically the slaves of the tower. They uh, do everything, all the menial tasks, where the people who come visit the tower are the ones who, you know, they use the baths, which is the, the that part, and they run the beer machine, you know, for example. So he's been freeing Hods, and he invites them in. They meet, they talk. Luke says, hey, I used to work for the Sphinx. You know, I used to follow those ideals, and now I don't. I feel like the tower needs to, to come down. It's evil, and he shows that he indeed has a leg similar to Edith's arm, but he has no power supply for them, and so he's effectively rejecting everything the Sphinx stands for. Now, he does capture Senlin and Edith in a polite cage, but a cage nonetheless, and they escape with the help of Voletta, uh, being her daredevil acrobatic self. Uh, it was a great little scene. While they're escaping, Senlin notices that that painting he's had that has been his safe port and his destruction this whole time, the girl in the bathing suit, he sees that Luke has multiple copies of it. And he's kind of confused and like, well, why does he have so many copies of this one book? Also, sorry, rewind just a little bit. Before they escape and when they're still talking, he notices that, that Luke just has this crowd of hods that are blacking out books. So he has them start from the back of the book and black every word backwards so that they can't accidentally read the book. Uh, basically saying that knowledge is bad and worthless. And that's oof, that turns... You know, our hero Senlin off, I did not like that. I thought it was bad. So then we see, oh, well, you know, these Hods that we've seen in the first book who are blacking things out, well, they must have been influenced somehow by this Luke, whether they're faking their servitude or what, but that's why they're blacking these out. I hope to see a little bit more of that later. Um, as they're escaping, they are flying, they, you know, they're running back to the shipyard where all the crashes are, where they landed. They make it out of there, but just barely. As they're trying, as they're flying away, they get ambushed again by the commissioner Pound from the baths. He is still after his painting. They're in a tight pickle because their ship is in no condition to fight ever. And the commissioner's ship, of course, is a beautiful, powerful, strong ship. It kicks butt. So they uh, escape by shooting a harpoon through their own ship into a train and getting pulled away uh, really fast. And the Ararat's, er, the commissioner ship, the Ararat, I don't know how to say it, sorry, uh, gets left behind and they escape that way. But because of this, they are out of the fuel for Edith's arm and they have to visit the Sphinx and they have to come up with a new plan of how to find Senlin's wife. Now when they meet the Sphinx, that was good. I like this, that they gave us more insight into the Sphinx while still keeping things mysterious. Uh, the Sphinx was so funny. Uh, you start out thinking it's a he, you learn later that it's a she uh, through Violetta, but she's really just like the caretaker of the tower. Uh, so good. The Sphinx tells Senlin that he is addicted to Crumb because the painting of Maria that he's been keeping and holding is just like thick with crumb and so every time he's touched it he's gotten a little bit of of that crumb in him and so he has to go through a, a decontamination period where the sphinx basically sends him into a deep library full of traps with a cat as a guide to find a certain book and bring it back to her and 
That whole scene was amazing. He falls in the trap. You're getting journal writings from him the whole time. So less of it's in the first person. Uh, it's still in the first person, but it's like him writing it down in a journal that you're reading. Oh, it was hilarious. Just, you know, he starts out confident in the beginning and like, I'm going to make it and I can do this. And then by the end, he's like, I'm crazy. Like this cat food really does start to smell and taste like smell good. I really want some, but I can't. Uh, it's hilarious. That book, that scenes, those scenes were kind of well worth the whole thing. Of course, the Sphinx likes to make deals. I love that. The, their deal making is basically arguing with each other while one of the Sphinx's helpers, a construct, is basically jotting everything down as fast as, as it can. And the way the deals work is that the Sphinx makes says something like, oh, I want to use your workers, you know, Monday through Friday for five hours. And Sendlin's like, okay, well, you can only use them, f- you know, four hours Monday through Friday, and they need a 10-minute break. And he's then the Sphinx counter argues that and says, well, okay, if they get a 10-minute break, then they have to work four and a half hours. And then he counter argues that until they kind of come to an agreement. And they, they basically make a small agreement about staying in this Sphinx area for a little while. Uh, that was so funny. Edith loses her arm when they meet the Sphinx. She takes it back because she doesn't like the way that Edith has treated it. Because she got, gets in fights with it a lot. So that's fun. We also learn a lot more about the builder of the tower. But for a second, let's move over into some more characters, like I said. Uh, Voletta. I think we really learn a little bit more about her. Not a whole lot, but enough to keep us really interested in her and invested in her. She is a free spirit. She's a daredevil. She loves to have the freedom to go where she wants. She's fiercely loyal and loving, but if you try to tell her no or constrict her or restrict her in any way... She rebels and bucks at that and pushes off. Now, while they're staying with the Sphinx, she actually, you know, meets the Sphinx on her own. And and they kind of engage in some small adventures. Um, Not so much, but the Sphinx just giving her the freedom to to climb, to dare, to feel that thrill of adrenaline. To kind of excite her and be her friend. And then when the Sphinx reveals that she's a woman and, you know, that she is living off of her own machinery, it's a, it's a powerful moment. It's like the one person that Violetta kind of like, Voletta trusts outside of the group that she knows about. Um, Adam in this book, he starts off pretty untrusted because of his two betrayals to Senlin that, you know, he's just trying to work back into his good graces, but Senlin doesn't think he can trust him. You know, at the Silk Reef, he is working with Irene, Iron and trying to fix the ship up and they have a good heart to heart and he kind of starts to understand more about why like the captain and nobody really trusts him anymore and why you know what he needs to do to fix it um he also starts you know realizing that hey my sister is her own woman i don't need to protect her or try to be her mother she'll always come back to me i just need to be myself you know be her brother uh he does start to get a little treasure hungry finds a treasure map and and starts to really desire that and go after that. Iron, of course, I think she's kind of the most rounded character already. She's a little older, so she's lived most of her life. She doesn't have a lot of, of growth left in her, but what growth there is left in her, Josiah pulls out extremely well, where she goes from being that enforcer to a real member of the crew, where she actually has people she has, she cares about and depends on. And she works really well with Voletta, just keeping her on track and making sure that she knows that they're together. Um, one of a you know motherly figure to Violet Voletta. So in this book, it was a pretty funny scene. She she talks to the Sphinx and 
has the Sphinx examiner and she says, Hey, like something's wrong with me. Like I ache more, you know, my body's changing. I don't like this, you know, what do, what do you need to replace to make me whole so I can keep fighting so I can keep being what I am. And the Sphinx, you know, examines her and then says, well, you're just getting older. There's nothing I can do. Uh, sorry. You're just going to have to learn to live with it. That's not super happy for Iron, but uh, it is part of that. So the last one, Edith, the second, the first mate, the second crew of Senlin. They were together in the parlor, and of course they've been piracing, pirating together. She has a, a strong desire. You really see this desire to protect the crew from the Sphinx. She mostly regrets, partially regrets, making her deal with the Sphinx when she was dying, and she really wants to protect the crew from that protect Sendlin that she does not want them to go there. She doesn't want them to have any dealings, but they have to go there because of her, her arm gets disabled and they have nowhere else to turn. All the ports have locked them out. Uh, you can see that there is a growing romance between Sendlin and Edith. You know, they're together all the time. You can see it. It's natural. It feels good. I like it and I don't like it. I like how it's portrayed, how it's built up. It's very slow and then fast and then slow and kind of up and down. Didn't like it because that's not where I want this to go. And if it goes there, then I'll be sad. But the book is going to be better for it, most likely. I'm really trusting Josiah right now that he's producing a good book for me. So just so you know, there's there's a little bit of that. Um, while they're in the Sphinx, after Senlin's been cured of his addiction to Crumb... And all the most of the secrets have come out. Edith agrees to get a new arm and to become the Sphinx's right hand to be a more prominent figure in the tower because the Sphinx feels that a war is coming. A war for what, you ask? It's a tower, right? With kingdoms and there can't be that many problems. Well, here's the trick. There is the bricklayer. The bricklayer is the one who built the tower. He built the tower so that mankind could aspire that, you know, if they're not building and growing, they're falling behind and slowing down. And the picture that we've been carrying around is actually the bricklayer's daughter, and that's the name of the painting. And not only is there Senlin's copy, there's actually more copies. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but these drawings can produce a combination if they're all together that will open the bricklayer's vault. What's in the bricklayer's vault? We don't know. The Sphinx doesn't know. She doesn't tell us. We don't know. It's just a, a good mystery. So what is the tower besides a place to learn? The Sphinx says that the tower is actually a bridge to the extent of humankind's ability to go. It sounds like a bridge into space, kind of, or to the edge of civilization. And, of course, Senlin scoffs at that. And I don't understand. How is it a bridge? It is a tower. Where is it going? I don't know. Uh... But the bricklayer set it into place the system. Of course, over time, that system has been corrupted and lost. All the ringdoms fight for themselves. And that's what the Sphinx is trying to protect is this legacy of the bricklayer, the legacy of the tower to uplift mankind, even though it's fallen by the wayside. One other thing I forgot to mention, Adam. He, this is interesting, him, uh, Edith, in her desire to protect Adam, who she knows has the weakest will, decides to, to escape with Adam during the night one night and send him off. She and him ride a climber and climb up to the top of the tower where 
his treasure map, Adam's treasure map, says that there's a lot of treasure. So they get up there, they're walking around, it's very misty and foggy, and then they see some people. And the people are wearing like rubber clothes and basically have lightning guns is what it appears. A little bit scary if I saw a guy pointing a lightning gun at me. Would not be happy about it. But they recognize Adam and they question him about who he is and if he really is Adam Boreas. And when he responds that he is and he answers some questions, they take him and he goes with them to wherever he is. Now where and how do they know him when he's never met them? I don't know. Is it time travel? I don't know. It's very weird and confusing, but I'm really looking forward to finding out the mystery of this. So now, as we're getting to the end of the book, the you know Semlin's been cured of his addiction. Edith has a new arm and a new improved arm for fighting and beating people. Voletta and Iran are with Semlin still. They're going out to they're going out with him, and the Sphinx is giving them a ship to take them into Pelphia, where uh, last six months ago, according to the Sphinx, that's where his wife was. Now. She's sending Senlin as a spy, she says, because she doesn't trust him. And she actually names Edith as captain of the ship. Uh, Senlin accepts this graciously, of course. And they start leaving. Now, this is the part of the book, the very last two pages of the book. So you definitely want to read this and not listen to me talk about it. This is where Edith and Senlin's relationship kind of hits its climax for this book, where they... They kiss, and then they break apart, of course, you know, shamed slash excited slash nervous. Um, that's good. I mean, it was felt natural, but I don't like it because I want Senlin and Maria to get back together. That's what I'm rooting for. Um, but then we see a camera that the Sphinx has pulled of Pelphia, and it's a recording of Maria putting a baby to sleep in a bassinet and a man coming to her and basically saying, come back to bed you know, leave the baby alone, it's fine. And so, you know, we don't know. It's been about a year since Senlin and his wife arrived at the tower. The baby is two to three months, so it could be Senlin's. It could not be. Who knows? I just know that reading this ending of this book made me angry, made me excited. I'm going to be diving right into the Hod King as soon as I get it. And I do recommend, again, that you have the Hot King with you, ready to read as soon as you finish The Arm of the Sphinx. But that's going to wrap up my discussion of Arm of the Sphinx by Josiah Bancroft. Uh, thanks for everybody for listening today, and thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to me at libromancypod at gmail.com. And always remember to sail into the magic of books. 